This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 303. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joining you today with Matthew Marister. That's a little bit backwards from what I was trying to say. Joining, <laughs> joined today by Matthew Marister. What's going on, man? <laughs> no, I'm joining the folks listening with you. <laughs> it's their privilege, their, their blessing that they get to have you, and they're joined to you for this episode, Matthew. We're, we're joined together, right? <laughs> joined at the hip when we're together. <laughs> Although it's kind of an awkward relationship because you're a lot shorter than I am. Yeah, yeah. You need to figure out a way to squeeze that in somehow. <laughs> Some contextual connection. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we love you just the way you are. Thank you. It's a special, <laughs> like no one is as as special as you are in your own unique short way. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so, folks, welcome to today's episode. Today's episode, uh, we, we had a little bit of fun here at the beginning, but uh, th- this episode, this episode is going to be uh, a little bit different than some of our other podcast episodes because uh, I don't know how to talk about what we're going to talk about without being rather somber about it all. Because number one, it happened uh, fairly recently. Number two, it was, it was a very, very bad, terrible thing that occurred. And uh, like it's it's unfathomable how these uh, sorts of things happen, and especially this this particular incident. Uh, and I think partly because of how it was, um, not only the specific group of people that it targeted, but also how it was per- perpetrated, meaning or or really put out there that this guy was live streaming uh, this shooting as he committed it. So we're going to talk today about the New New Zealand mosque mass shooting that happened uh, just a few days ago. Now I know that's very fresh and very recent. But uh, because it's relevant and it's current, and there's also many things that we can learn from from this, I think. Uh, we've talked about similar things in the past, but uh, this one's got some unique uh, characteristics to it that, uh, and, and some really unique lessons that we can we can focus on. Partly because video of this does exist, although a lot of that's been taken down. I'm going to say right now, for the record, I do not recommend listeners go and search for this video. Um, and this is not an attempt to, to use reverse psychology on people and say, "Don't do this," and then actually, you know, and then have you actually go and do that. No, I really seriously mean like, um, don't go and search and, and watch this video. Okay. Um, I will say that I took one for the team because, and I, you know, I know some respect people in the industry that have said that they're not going to even watch the video. Uh, because of the nature of it and the fact that it's done from a first-person view, um, but uh, and I respect uh, those that are in that in that boat uh, as far as refusing to to watch it. Okay, that's that's okay. Um, keeping your intact, your dignity, and your humanity, I think, is is really key. Mindset's important too, but you don't have to go watch this to uh, uh, strengthen your mindset or anything like that. We're going to tell you everything you need to know based on. Uh, what we have seen ourselves uh, in viewing the video and reading uh, detailed accounts from uh, that shooting, okay? So, uh, what lessons can be learned? What can we do better to prepare ourselves? Uh, Is there anything we can do to prevent this type of thing from happening again in the future? Those are the questions that we ought to look at and ask and hopefully answer or come away with today. So, uh, but first, today's episode is made possible and brought to you by... 
we have a special discount this week only. Uh, actually, not just this week. Well, no, it is through this week. I think yeah. it ends on Sunday or Saturday. I'm going to confirm that date. It's the March 24th, 24th of March. So whatever day of the week that is. Uh, that is Sunday. Come This coming Sunday at 11.59 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, this coupon code is is valid, okay? So through from now through that time, uh, if you use coupon code MADNESS, M-A-D-N-E-S-S, on our site, concealedcarry.com, uh, for, you know, in our store, you'll save 20% off everything in these six categories. Dry fire, DVDs and CDs, online training, apparel, holsters, and flashlights and lighting, okay? Uh, so this is a nice, nice big sale. Uh, Guardian Nation members will save even more, okay? So 20% off everything in those categories, up through March 24th at 11.59 p.m. Mountain Time. Use coupon code MADNESS. All right, it's a really good sale. So we hope that you'll take advantage of that. And also, I'm just going to throw out uh, that this episode is made possible by our friends at Laser App, um, also known as the Shooter Technology Group. Uh, these guys produce some really amazing stuff. You can you can check them out at laserapp.com. Uh, we also sell it on our site. And I some of that might even be... a uh, part of the sale, I, I'm not exactly sure of the coupon code I just gave, um, but uh, go check out Laser App and the new the new version Laser X app, which works on any device, uh, any computer, anything that connects to the internet. You can use Laser X software to up your shooting game and your dry fire practice routines. I demonstrated it yesterday in the Shop Talk. You can go check that out. By the way, if you missed that video, concealedcarry.com forward slash Shop Talk. But uh, Laser app or laser x uh is really really great stuff i've been using it for several years now to augment and supplement and improve and also make fun and kind of exciting my own personal dry fire training in practice so there you go so um with that uh brings us to our next segment which is case of the week so let's cue that up right now Hey folks, Attorney Andrew Branca here from Law of Self-Defense. This case of the week is on an interesting defensive dwelling situation out of Louisiana that illustrates both that the legal risks for use of force are never zero, no matter how favorable the law appears to be to the defender, and also why a defender with the law on their side might nevertheless agree to plea to a felony conviction with a multi-year sentence. The basic facts of the case are that the victim of the use of force here armed himself with an expandable baton, went to the dwelling where the defender was present, attacked the resident who answered the front door, and unlawfully entered the residence to continue his attack on the defender. At that point, the defender shot and killed the victim with a 12-gauge shotgun. The defender was then charged with first-degree murder. Louisiana, where these events took place, has among the strongest defense of highly defensible property laws in the country. The relevant statute, linked in the text version of this case of the week, is Section 14-20, Justifiable Homicide. First, it includes not just one's dwelling, but also one's place of business and occupied motor vehicle within the definition of highly defensible property, which is about as broad as that definition gets anywhere. Second, whereas many states allow for the use of deadly force against an intruder who has forcibly and unlawfully 
entered highly defensible property, Louisiana does not impose the requirement that the entry be forcible, nor does it require a demonstration that there was an unlawful threat to human life. A merely unlawful entry into highly defensible property is sufficient to justify the use of deadly defensive force. Given the facts of this case, the victim here clearly had unlawfully entered the home and indeed did so with the clear intent to attack those present and the Louisiana highly defensible property law, that a mere unlawful entry into highly defensible property authorizes the use of deadly defensive force, how is it that the defender in this case found himself charged with first-degree murder for having killed the victim? The difficulty for the defender is that he wasn't just some innocent person sitting at home minding his own business when a violent lunatic tried to force himself into the defender's home. Rather, the defender, who was dating the victim's estranged stepdaughter and working in concert with that daughter and the victim's estranged wife, had been engaged in a high-intensity effort to drive the victim crazy. I write those words in the most literal sense. This campaign against the victim actually drove the victim to be institutionalized. It was shortly after the victim's release from a stay in a behavioral health center that the victim forced his way into the defender's home and was killed. In the few hours immediately prior to the killing, the defender here had escalated his taunting of the victim to a level involving scores of text messages and hundreds of phone calls, all delivered in just a few hours. It was this goading that apparently led the intoxicated victim to show up in a rage at the defender's home, leading, of course, to the killing of the victim. And it was this goading of the victim by the defender that led the prosecution to bring a charge of first-degree murder against the defender, despite Louisiana's potent defense of dwelling law described above. As reported in the news story that covers this case, linked in the text version of this case of the week, the prosecutor brought the murder charge and the legal theory that the defender had brought on his own trouble and therefore couldn't rely on Louisiana's defensive dwelling law. Frankly, this doesn't strike me as a very compelling legal argument for the prosecutor, given the plain language of the Louisiana defensive dwelling statute. And in any case, I wouldn't think that the special provisions of that defensive dwelling statute would even be required for an acquittal in this case on a first-degree murder charge. After all, had this victim attacked the defender with an expandable baton out in the street, much less in a dwelling, it would likely have constituted a straight-up deadly force attack against which a straight-up legal defense of deadly defensive force in self-defense would likely be successful. Sending mean words to someone via text and phone calls, as stupid as such conduct is, ought not strip you of your right to defend against a deadly force attack by that person you're taunting. Under the facts and law in this case, I would think the defender would be in a pretty secure legal position with respect to a first-degree murder charge. Nevertheless, that's the charge with which the defender was hit, and that in turn reflects the simple reality that no matter how favorable the facts and law may be, the legal risk of a serious prosecution is never zero. The prosecutor is free to use their discretion to bring even a weak case to trial if they want to, and as they did here. So given that that's one of the real-world risks, folks, of using force against another person, make sure the stakes you're fighting for are worth those risks. 
Another interesting facet of this case is that the defendant ultimately reached a deal with prosecutors in which he avoided the first-degree murder trial in exchange for accepting a manslaughter plea carrying a 10-year sentence. Why do that, you might ask, when he has such a strong legal case to take to trial? Well, there could be lots of reasons. First, there's always a chance, however slight, of a conviction at trial. And a conviction on first-degree murder would have seen the 26-year-old defendant spend the rest of his life in prison at hard labor in Louisiana. A 10-year manslaughter sentence looks pretty good compared to that. Second, the defendant wasn't really looking at another 10 years because he has been sitting in jail awaiting trial for nearly three and a half years already. And that three and a half years will be credited to his 10-year sentence. Third, the defendant would be eligible for parole on a manslaughter conviction where he wouldn't be under a first-degree murder conviction and eligible for parole after serving about two-thirds of his sentence, a status he'll achieve in only about another two or three years. So from the defendant's perspective, at this point in the game, he's looking at choosing between either agreeing to do another couple of years and getting out of jail before he's 30 on the one hand, or a prospect, however slight, of a life sentence at hard labor if he loses at trial. Added to this as well is that the defendant may not have the resources one might like to have in order to mount an effective legal defense against an aggressive prosecutor in a life sentence case. If you don't have many resources to bring to the fight, especially compared to the prosecutor's effectively unlimited resources, the prospects for a win at trial diminish even with the law and the facts on your side. That's a key reason so many people consider, as I have myself, uh, some form of self-defense insurance, folks. And if you're interested about learning more about self-defense insurance, we have a class on that at lawselfdefense.com forward slash insurance. Okay, folks, that's it for this week's Case of the Week. Thanks for joining me. I'm attorney Andrew Branca. If you enjoyed this Case of the Week, I urge you to take a look at the Law of Self-Defense blog, the premier source for authoritative self-defense law education and insight. There's always free content available, as well as premium content for the Law of Self-Defense community. Just point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash blog. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self-Defense. Well, what'd you think of that case, Matthew? This case where a guy basically, I mean, you know, on the surface, this looks like he, he was using justifiable, uh, you know, deadly force in defense, uh, but still gets charged. Yeah, I, I think it's, these cases are so important, not so much. I don't think so much for the particulars, like we analyze everything that he did and didn't do, but like just for the overall concept of the, you know, oftentimes, and I'm sure when you're teaching classes or when you're talking to somebody, they're only concerned about, well, is this illegal? Can I do this legally? And oftentimes it's like, you, you may be able to do that legally, but is it wise to do that? Is that, you know, it, because yeah. things like this happen. And whenever I hear somebody tell me, well, you know, I'll just, I'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by six. I understand like you want to protect yourself, but if you, if you extrapolate that, then 
every every decision you make is a binary one between like, is it legal or do I have to, you know, am I going to shoot this person? And sometimes that that there's a third option and it's not to get involved in something that would put you in a, cho- in, in a situation where you have to choose between the two, you know? So um, this is a perfect example of just, you, you, you don't know what, how your life is going to be destroyed. Um, even if you think that you're totally covered legally. So, yep. I don't know. Absolutely. You know, that that's basically what this came down to is, you know, when you just read the, say, if you just read the news story and all that features is man with baton breaks into or breaks through the front door of another man's home, man inside that home uses a shotgun to defend himself. Like you go, oh yeah. But then realize there's all this history of this guy taunting this other man to the point. It's almost like asking somebody, you go ahead, pick up that stick over there and come over like you're going to beat me with it so that I can draw my gun and shoot you. It's like you're 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 trying to goad them into doing something that would allow you to, to, to shoot them. Mm-hmm. That's basically what this came down to. So it's really, really... It's such an interesting case in that regard to me because I think I think there's people that think that they could do something like that and and possibly like it would be okay like they could get away with it or that it even is like justifiably or or morally or ethically okay like well it's still that guy's choice to come over with his baton but yet you you were really driving him to try to do that so it would give you some excuse to to do something in return you know including deadly force which is uh i mean i in my world it's definitely not ethical and definitely not moral um but uh you can also see legally has some problems too but um, anyway, interesting case and make sure you have good, uh, concealed carry self-defense type in insurance. I always say that in air quotes cause they're not, some of them may say they are insurance and others say they are not, but there's many great options. You can always go to our website, concealedcarry.com, go to the insurance page, there's a little, you know, button right there on the home page. You click on that. We'll give you all kinds of info about that kind of insurance and also a compare, a great comparison chart about you know what what all the different uh, uh, plans and different companies offer, uh, what some of the pros and cons are. Uh, you can evaluate that for yourself, make the best choice, and we have links all right there. You can read all the information, evaluate for yourself. I think you should have something along those lines, personally. Um, you should have something along those lines, but evaluate it, make, it, make that decision for yourself, and then click a link and go and, and buy. You know, And if you're a Guardian Nation member, right, as of right now, you get like 30% off of your, um, or is it 15%? Crap. I always get mixed, mixed up with numbers, but you get a discount off of USCCA insurance. <laughs> I think it's percent. But I know it's, a, I know it's percentage. I just, I'm, I'm suddenly trying to remember if it's, I think it's 15%. Sorry if I said 30. So my bad. There's so many percentages and numbers and prices. Like people always ask me too, like Riley, what's the price of whatever thing on your website? I'm like, ah, like I wish I could say like I'm not buying it every day and you'd think I'm looking at it every day but I'm not you know like we sell stuff we sell quite a few things uh, and that's part of the problem we sell like five or six hundred different things on our site I can't remember them all <laughs> anyway cool all right interesting case let's move along let's get into the uh, this New Zealand shooting all right so uh, I woke up Friday morning thanks Mark for clarifying 15 percent that's that I'm glad you have my back. I, I know I said 30 and I knew I was wrong as soon as I said it. <laughs> 15% is still substantial, by the way. Uh, yeah. All right. New Zealand. 
so I woke up Friday morning. I was in Lincoln, Nebraska. Jacob and I traveled out there to uh, finalize a deal on something that's very exciting that we'll be uh, talking about before too long uh, here at concealedcarry.com. And uh, so I woke up. Uh, we had we had driven late into the night. We got there about 2 a.m. Uh, Central Time. And uh, I went to bed, got just a few hours of sleep. I woke up and I look at my phone and I, I see all these, you know, I was getting blasted by, you know, friends and people I know. And like, did you see this, you know, uh, various news alerts and whatnot. So uh, sometime, so New Zealand is, you know, like, let's see, are they on that side of the international dateline or the other side? I think it was, it would have been late for us, but still daytime hours for them. Either way, it was still daytime for them when we were, you know, it was, you know, nighttime uh, for us here in the States. I just can't remember if it was fr- technically Friday th- there yet or Thursday. I know that that dateline is is right there, you know, uh, pretty close. But uh, anyway, so I woke up uh, sometime during the daytime there in New Zealand. This guy uh, had perpetrated this horrendous mass shooting. Uh, initially, and I, I didn't see, let's see, do we get any updated numbers? I know there was 49 people that were killed. Um, has that changed at all, Matthew? That, that's the last I saw. I think that's uh, the last I, I looked, saw too. I looked up a couple hours ago when I was prepping for the show and yep. that's what I saw. Yep. And, uh, tons of people, uh, you know, tons of people killed. And actually it looks like here, 50 people were killed. I'm looking at CNN.com and uh, 50 wounded, which is interesting because I would actually thought there would be fewer wounded than there were killed. And let me explain why. Um, One of the things about this attack that uh, particularly made it uh, very heinous is this guy initially shot a lot of the people, but then he went back and finished them off uh, at close range, kind of execution style. Um, It's pretty, pretty sad. It's devastating. It's gross. Uh, It's terrible. Um, so he was intent on killing as many of these people as he as he possibly could. Uh, he was aiming his shots reasonably well. Uh, let me just describe to you. I have an entire timeline. I don't know that we'll go through that in, in detail, but other than use it for a couple of key points, but uh, basically it went down like this. I'll give you kind of the overview. Matthew, feel free to jump in, and, you know, anywhere and correct me or add to it or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so, dude drives his car to like if you're facing the building facing the mosque from the street he parks in an alleyway that's on the right side of the building all right he parks his car there he takes his time he gets out he gets his gun ready it's on a sling it's a it's a ar style rifle um he then walks to and he has tons of magazines in fact you can see them uh in the video you can see he's got all these magazine like uh, on his lap initially. And then I guess he's like st- sticking those in his pockets or something. I, I don't know that he was actually wearing like any sort of plate carrier, tactical vest type thing with actual mag pouches on it. I think he was just tucking them into pockets and, and stuff. A lot of them were coupled. Okay. So, uh, you know, like where you, you can take two 30 round mags and couple them together. Um, and so, with those couplers, a lot of times you can just slip those in, into a pocket and, you know, one magazine's in your pocket, the other magazine's outside the pocket. But anyway, he walks to the front of the door. Oh, and he also grabbed a shotgun. So he walks to the front door. He fires uh, nine times through the opening of the front door. He then dumps the shotgun, proceeds into the building. Uh, in the building, there's a, there's a hallway. There's a room to the right. You go a little bit deeper. There's, there's a big room in the back. There's uh, another room kind of attached to it. 
Um, and he goes into the big room and uh, shoots at a, at a group of people. Uh, and he's, he's shooting kind of at that point rather indiscriminately, uh, meaning he's just pointing in the – you can't miss. The, all the people were kind of huddled together. Um, and he's shooting in their direction. Uh, he is actually looking around – and I could, I'm pretty sure what he's doing is making sure that no one was coming up on him. So he was uh, being pretty pretty aware of his surroundings as he's doing this. So he's just holding his rifle in the direction of this crowd of people. He's firing as he continues to look around. Um, he uh, then uh, performs uh, several reloads uh, throughout the course of all this. There's another crowd of people that's initially behind him. He turns to fight, fire at them. There was actually a man that either appeared to be ta- trying to tackle him or just trying to escape past him down the hallway. Either way, one man ran into him and actually knocked the shooter down. That caused the shooter to lose a lot of his magazines onto the floor, um, which complicated some of his reloads. He also experienced some malfunctions throughout the course of all of this. After the initial uh, shooting inside the building, he then proceeded out of the building, uh, fired at some people on the sidewalk out there. Uh, he, uh, then went, uh, uh, to his car and grabbed another rifle, uh, fired at some more people outside the building and then went back into the building and, uh, fired some more at the victims on the, on the floor. At this point, most of them are on the floor. He then leaves the mosque again. He shoots at a couple of people in the courtyard, uh, shoots some more people on the street, gets into his vehicle and drives off. Uh, he actually drives down to there's a there was a second mosque just down the road and he fires with a pump action shotgun through the windshield at uh, some people near that mosque um, and then also fires through the through the side window of his car and then he takes off uh, he had ex- he had multiple malfunctions with the shotgun I don't know if it's because he was short stroking it uh, which is pretty commonplace with the pump action if you don't know how to really work it you know, vigorously, uh, you'll tend to short it and it'll kind of jam up the shells in the, uh, ejection port. Um, yeah, that's pretty much like the overview and it's, it's, uh, it's pretty rough, right? Um, but there's some lessons to be learned from this and, and we'll get into those. Uh, Matthew, uh, what, what are your thoughts and what do you want to add to what I just uh, covered there? Yeah. I mean, you broke it down. I, I like, uh, I see, you know, you, you wrote it, uh, time hacks for everything he did. And as I watched it, um, initially there were some big things that stood out to me. Uh, number one, that the whole incident where the majority of the people are shot happens within the first two minutes, two to three minutes from him actually leaving the car. And it's, it's strange because, um, there it's eerily, I mean, I, I'm trying to, I'm, tr- I, I'm placing myself in that situation. Right. And it's eerily strange that there is no resistance at all outside of the guy that you, you know, you mentioned runs at him or trying to get by him. He is able to do whatever he wants whenever he wants. And you, you mentioned he looks around a couple of times, like tactically seeing if anybody's coming after him, but he's able to just drop, you know, he drops a magazine, he looks down, he picks it up. There's no, it, there, he, he is able to operate in a, in a play, in a, in a mindset that he's not worried about anybody, not even a person with a knife, not even a person trying to stop him at all. Um, it, it, one other thing that was interesting the whole time, and you mentioned as you were talking about the layout of the mosque, that, that main hallway that walks, that goes down, has a, a room to the left and that door was closed. 
And throughout the whole time, he shot up everybody that he could see. He went back and shot them again after he left and came back in. But never once did he go open that door and go into that room. So somehow psychologically, and, and, you know, I'd have to look at other shootings and things like that, but to see if this is a trend or, or something, but just having that door closed, he never even entered it. And I don't know if he kind of subconsciously, you know, just didn't even look at that area at all and focused on what he could see. Um, and I, I'm not saying, you know, that, that that's the best idea to just close the door. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it was interesting observation. Um, and, and as this, that's, this is playing out, um, it's, it's terrible because everybody is trying to get away. They're trapped in there. There's no way there, there's two windows that they might've been able to get out, but he just, he, he overwhelmed them quickly. And, um, and, and you, even in the video towards the end, he's talking as he leaves and gets in the car and starts driving off. He says it didn't go as planned. He said, um, you know, there were so many people, I didn't even have time to aim. He said there, there were just, the people were so close together. I didn't really even have to aim. I just kind of, and you'll see it. The first couple shots when he's targeting specific individuals, he does, you know, two, three, four round bursts on each person. But once he gets into the group, it's just pretty much suppressive fire, just shooting into the group. Um, so yeah, th those were the things that kind of stood out tactically or just, you know, big picture type things. Um, obviously, there's a lot more that we can, you know, we're going to talk about, but just overall, those are the things that kind of stuck out to me. Yeah. All right. So here's the first thing I wanted to highlight. <clears throat> that is that from the first shots that are fired, uh, he fires nine shots with a shotgun in five seconds. Okay. That's it's pretty reasonable with a shotgun. Okay. That's nothing, you know, basically firing one shot every half second. Okay. He fight, he, and his whole point with the shotgun was, you know, kick off the fight with, or this, this attack with the shotgun, dump the shotgun. He didn't even care about the shotgun. He, he knew he was going to do most of the damage with his AR. He then transitions to the rifle. Um, that only takes a couple of seconds. So from, so if we have a timeline starting at zero, and that timeline is running in seconds. At nine seconds, he's already transitioned over to his rifle and he's firing his first shots with the rifle. At 19 seconds, he's into the main room of the mosque and is shooting at the, the larger group of people. All right. Uh, that is not a lot of time. I mean, just imagine this, okay? And th this is why I wanted to talk about this. You are in some sort of, you know, worship you know, place, okay? Whether that's a church, whether that's a mosque, whether that's a synagogue. Uh, of course, you know, it's fresh in people's minds still about the synagogue shooting in uh, Pittsburgh, you know, not too long ago, right? Um, so you're, you're in some sort of, of church or building uh, of a place of worship, okay? 19 seconds is not a lot of time, especially if you are caught in the open in a large room, like a, like a, a sanctuary or a chapel or something, right? Um, from the initial shots being fired, depending on how big your church is, you may not even recognize that those are gunshots yet. All right. Now, or a lot of people will be in denial as to what's going on. They'll hear the shots. They'll hear these loud noises. They'll think in their mind, are those gunshots? Nah, no, that doesn't make sense. Right. Because a lot of people will be in denial about what's actually taking place until they actually, until those shots are right next to them or they are looking at the shooter himself. Um, you know, as to why that is, it, 
and not everybody is that way, but a lot of people, unfortunately, will probably respond that way because we tend to be in denial about a lot of things that are like that, that, that are so extreme, so far outside of our, our normal frame of reference that, you know, where we live our lives, that uh, it, it's, it's, there will be at least that initial freeze of what is going on. I've seen it, all right? Um, I was at a, actually at a gun show uh, where a, a gun that had been loaded and was you know against the rules of the gun show, somehow it, somebody had a loaded gun and fired, the, fired it off a shot. It was on accident. He was not trying to harm anybody. Uh, someone was injured from that gunshot. Uh, it's actually the last time I attended that gun show. Uh, it was pretty unfortunate. But uh, I was probably 30 or 40 feet away when that shot went off. And everybody in that place, like, just stopped, all right? People weren't ducking. They weren't diving for the door. They just stopped, all right? And they turned and they looked. What is going on? Now, that's not always a bad thing as far as I'm trying to evaluate what's happening here, right, before I make a decision. I don't know whether I need to run, hide, or fight yet. Like, and that's that's the thing that's taught by the uh, uh, by the FBI, you know, by the, um, uh, by the, but what's, what's the camp? That is the campaign run, hide, fight. I was trying to think the department, no, not department of justice, department of Homeland security. That's the, that's the agency that you see their po- those posters sometimes even run, hide, fight. There's a whole campaign about it. And, you know, well, you, you can't really decide whether to run, hide or fight until you at least evaluate. Can I run? Can I hide? Do I need to fight? Right. So my point is, is like 19 seconds uh, seems like a long time, and probably to even those in that place, it might have seemed like an eternity. If they were, if they survived and they were looking back now, it would have felt like forever. But uh, it's not actually a lot of time. So from the time he fires his first shot to the time he's in, into the the main room in this mosque, it's 19 seconds, and he's already killed several people at that point. All right, where are you in your church at this point? Okay, just imagine. You could have been in that doorway. The first people that were shot weren't even facing him. They didn't even see it coming. They were facing away. All right. Um, that's that that that's the first thing that I looked at, Matthew, and I just went, My goodness, you know, just how quickly this all played out. Right? So that's that's the first thing. Then there's this whole thing where he, it appears as though he is almost tackled by a man trying to escape. He does, uh, he is not successful in making that attempt. Uh, or at least, or maybe that person's trying to ta- actually tackle him and, and, and save, you know, the day. Uh, it's not really clear. Uh, it happens so quickly. Uh, what we do know is in the course of that, the man is knocked down, the shooter. And, um, you know, regardless of what he's trying to do, like he was trying to do what he thought was the right thing. Uh, he either thought he could get away or he thought he could take this guy down. It did not work, right? So you commented, Matthew, you said nobody really does anything. No one even, you know, really counters him other than this guy that may have been trying to tackle him or not. Um, I don't know that a lot of other people really had much of a chance. No, they didn't. And and that was that was one of the things, you know, those two people that were that had their back to them, uh, to the shooter, he was they were shot in the back, right, with that shotgun, and they pretty much died instantly. Um, but those could have been security, a security team on that on that church. 
and he shoots one. And, and even if they, because he, did, he, it wasn't like he pulled out a concealed handgun or anything. He, he walked up fully. Yeah. I mean, his rifle, his, his shotgun, his rifle was slung, his shotguns, you know, almost in the ready position. And anybody, there are people that walk by that he walked by outside that looked, didn't do anything. Probably that disconnect, like, Am I really seeing, I'm not expecting to see a dude walking down the street with a, you know, an AR and a shotgun all kitted out and everything. So I'm not, I'm not sure I'm actually seeing this, but if those two guys that were a security team see that and they're able to respond right away, this, this pretty much ends probably, I mean, at, at the worst, the dude dies, the, the shooter dies and maybe he gets off around and injures or kills one of those security guards, but it's, it's not a mass shooting, you know? Um, it, it, it that it, I think by looking at that, you it, I don't want to say it's a fact because you know it didn't play out that way because I and I can't prove it, but every everything would point to if those two people were armed and had a, a, an awareness about them, this thing we're not even talking about it right now. Yeah. Comment here from Sean says, uh, I agree it's a terrible thing, but there has been 120 Christians killed by Fulani. Muslim militants in Nigeria in three weeks, including 17 worshipers and two priests at a funeral, and the world media aren't as outraged by it or report it. You know, there is, there's that, that is true, Sean, and that, that is also, I think, a travesty, uh, especially in that it is not uh, reported in the same way. Uh, now, by nature of you know the way our media is these days, if something is by definition like a uh, a singular mass shooting attack, an active shooter event, it's going to get more coverage regardless. Uh, some of these things going on in Nigeria may technically be like a, an active shooter event, but they may also be ongoing strifes and fights and, and battles and things as well. Um, I actually haven't looked too much into the, the what's going on there, or this most recent thing. I've seen this uh, referenced several times on various online forums about the 120 Christians killed. By the way, I do not mean for this to be a Christian versus uh, uh, Muslim thing at all. I frankly do not care uh, about you know whether someone's a Muslim or a Christian. Uh, anybody that dies is that's that, that's travesty. You know, I'm I'm of the belief that uh, we are all children of God, uh, regardless of religion, regardless of no religion. That's my own personal belief. And so, anyone that dies uh, un- unnecessarily, you know, that is what I would perceive as an innocent party, which. These these Muslims in New Zealand were an innocent party. Uh, these Christians in Nigeria are an innocent party. Uh, these are all travesties, all terrible events that shouldn't occur, uh, but they do. So um, realizing what we're talking about here and, and some of the, our initial insights, I have a few others. And actually, one thing that you said, Matthew, that was interesting to me was uh, the uh, how there was there was a closed door or two. I, th- I remember two closed doors in the hallway that he never opened. Mm-hmm. Um, those may have been a restroom, but regardless, like he didn't care enough to go in there. Uh, and so that was interesting to note that that he only went into rooms that doorways were opened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know we talk about, and I've talked about this before, and I have the countering the mass shooter threat book. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> wow, that came out of nowhere. Um, which is a really good book uh, produced by the USCCA. Uh, it talks about, it uses an example, the Virginia Tech shooting, and how uh, the students that were able to close the door and also barricade the door, those were the ones that, that basically survived, 
right? The ones that were unable to do so uh, did not. The one, the rooms that the shooter were was able to go into, that's where the people died. The same is true in Florida with the Parkland shooting. Uh, he, uh, he, other than shooting people in the hallway, he shot people in classrooms that had open doorways. A lot of these classrooms had windows in the door, and not he not only shot into classrooms with open doors, but he actually shot through those windows into classrooms. So through the, the, the window, the window of the door into the classroom where he could see that people were. Okay. Uh, but he did not make any attempt to go into rooms that were generally secured or closed off. Okay. So that's really, you know, that's, that's a really big thing. It's not that it's a guarantee that because you run to a room and close the door that you're going to come out of that alive. But that does seem to be, and that's, these are not the only two instances where this sort of thing has occurred. Uh, There's many, many, many other shootings where, you know, that, that there's a, there's a pattern here. They're, they're, they know that they have a limited amount of time uh, to get the job done that they're trying to to do. Uh, And they're also going to focus their efforts where they feel like they have the most targets Mm -hmm. um, would be my guess. Right. So, so um, here's a question. Jared asks, how strict is New Zealand gun law? And actually, it's not as strict as, say, like Australia. Uh, it's not as strict as a number of foreign countries. It is, in a lot of ways, more strict than the U.S. Suppressors are not regulated in New Zealand. Um, but uh, guns, like all guns, are. So regardless of the gun that you own, you have to uh, – they're all registered – and you apply, but you can basically buy. I mean, this guy had legally obtained semi-automatic carbine rifles and semi-automatic shotguns, mm-hmm. right? So, so, and, and now I believe magazine capacities are restricted there, but clearly that didn't keep him from from getting these. He he had some very high capacity magazines, uh, and he had a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. actually, in the in the outline i put in a link that you that really breaks down a lot of the different laws and how they you know requiring uh licensing and things you have you need to relicense uh, every 10 years and things like that there's different there, there's some different nuances to their laws compared to ours um, but like riley said they're they're more restrictive than uh the united states for sure yeah so you know but interestingly enough uh they're the amount the amount the amount of gun control that New Zealand has is I would say more strict than what we have here in the states uh, by and large uh, less strict than a lot of other countries including Australia and European countries but uh, but it's kind of the style of gun control that you hear a lot of people currently in the US pushing for they want to have universal background checks to accomplish that. You have to have some sort of universal registry as well. Uh, longer wait periods for uh, uh, background checks on guns, right? I mean, if you have a registry like they do in New Zealand, you have you apply and then you get you know you have to go through this whole background check process and it takes I don't know whether it takes thirty days or sixty days, but it takes a little while, right? Uh, they have a magazine capacity restriction as well, so you know you can get a lot of these guns. Uh, oh, and by the way, the 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 rifle that he he was using was uh, actually both of them had a California style stock to it, where it had the kind of the thumb hole stock as opposed to a pistol grip. It's remarkable to me how we ever got on this subject of it has a pistol grip, therefore it's an evil gun. 
like pistol grip enables you to shoot so much faster and with greater control. Um, that's not really true at all. <laughs> um, pistol grips have other other reasons behind them, but they don't necessarily like. I remember watching an ABC or NBC, maybe CBS. I don't know. One of the major three you know news networks doing this special story about. This was way back in the day. This is you know if you can find the video file out there, it's pretty grainy and and uh, you know it's you could tell it's from from the, like the late '90s or something. And they did this whole st- story about uh, assault weapons or something like that. And they talk about how the pistol grip makes it easier to shoot from the hip. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What? How did? <laughs> of course, we have people that know nothing about guns talking about guns, uh, and you know they they have no idea what they're talking about. And so I, I guess they just imagine these things, or you know, come up with them out of you know pull them out of their butt because, well, what, well the, the, this gun has a pistol grip. That makes it different from this other gun over here that looks more like a hunting rifle, which in reality is like an M14 or something, right? And well, why would that? Why why was there a pistol grip? Like, what's the big deal about a pistol grip? Well, that must make it somehow easier to shoot, uh, shoot from the hip. You know, like it's just weird, crazy stuff. Anyway, so the point is, a lot of the country, you know, a lot of the anti-gunners would have us move towards a New Zealand style, California style level of gun control, uh, but that had zero effect on the effectiveness of this shooter, right? And uh, that is a really important and valid thing to point out. Now, I I know that we're not going to win necessarily on arguing facts like that to the other side, but that is still really important to understand and realize. Yeah, and I think as you were talking, I kind of uh, this kind of went off on a tangent in my mind, thinking, say this wasn't a mosque, say this was a school um, that he targeted. And it was Muslim children, you know, it was predominantly Muslim school. Right. Um, and the same outcome, you know, the same exact outcome, uh, occurred. Um, because here, here in the States, obviously you you can, uh, get the permission of the, the person in charge of, you know, your church, synagogue, whatever to kill, uh, carry concealed. But in schools, most of the time you can't, not even with the permission of, you know, depending on, I mean, the state and everything, but dep- even, you know, the, the school faculty might be like, yeah, we want to, but we're not allowed to. Um, and so if, if this were a school, it would even more show the fact that uh, prohibiting firearms or not allowing somebody to be a security team or, or to have a security team or to, to make a, you know, a, a, a detail that takes care of that school or church or whatever um, really actually hinders and, and makes, makes, you know, we all know this, but um, makes the people inside less, less safe. And, and you know, in some of these laws and, and politicians, you'll hear them, well, we'll allow, you know, a certain amount of training or we'll, allow, we'll let's get more cops there. Well, all these things require a lot of money. And mm-hmm. if you, if you're out in the, you know, out in, you know, Idaho or something or North Dakota or something where you, you don't live in Silicon Valley where everybody has a ton of money and you can afford to put SROs in every school. Um, you might have just a group of people that that's our security team, right? We don't have, we don't have, you know, we train out in our backyards and we, we, you know, we, we can't go through training that's required by the state because it takes 300 hours and $600 per person. We don't have that money. So we don't have a security team, but 
So all these like little hindrances and, and things where they say, well, it's just this one little law. Well, how, you know, if it stops one person, it's great. But that one little law might look benign, but it prohibits people from actually being able to defend themselves. I know it's a long-winded thing, but um, I just want to, you know, just kind of went off on a tangent while you're talking with the, comparing it to a school, how it, how it would be different. If it was a school, you know, it, the, the headlines would be much different, I think. Yeah. Now, uh, New Zealand government, especially the prime minister, were very quick to call for uh, additional gun control in light of this uh, recent event. And that's because that's always what's going to happen. Because I believe personally, no matter what level of gun control we achieve, there will always be something similar that will occur and that will always lead to the next call for greater restrictions. Uh, I, I think that, you know, that even places that, ha- well, I mean, here's another great example. In, in, France has way stricter gun control than New Zealand does, but yet they still had the Charlie Hebdo shooting and the shooting at that uh, concert venue, you know, uh, and it's, you know, you, but you don't hear them calling for more gun control because they've basically already completely outlawed guns for the most part, you know, uh, and so they got to look to other things. You got places like Britain where they're trying, they're doing more and more to outlaw knives, Right, because well, pretty much already outlawed guns for the most part, at least for the average citizen. At least you know, so like they they realize there's no more. They, there's always going to be that next thing that they're going to go after that they that they have to go for because there has to be some, there has to be some reason, some thing that we can attack, that we can blame, that we can place our blame upon. Not not blame ourselves. Not blame. You know, I'm, I'm referring to us as a, as a government or as a leader in the government. Not blame. Uh, you know. Not not blame not blame anybody on that side of things. You know, we got to find the thing, the object that we can blame, and place that blame there on, and then go. We need to restrict that and take that thing away from the people. Uh, and then that, that's not going to, you know. And this guy actually, if you read his manifesto, all right. So the shooter in New Zealand, he has his whole manifesto thing, and uh, I've, I've read a lot of that as well. He explains his reasons behind this this whole attack. He says in there that one of his motivations was to, he knew that by doing this, it would throw an additional, it would throw more fuel in the fire over here in the United States. Because he recognizes, like a lot of the rest of the world probably recognizes, there's this big battle going on in the United States. You know, not a real, you know, literal battle, right? But one of ideas and of philosophies and beliefs and political, uh, uh, you know, arguments and sides. he th- he wanted to throw more fuel on the fire and and try to bring this to a head here in the United States, you know where we would almost have some sort of civil war to a, to a degree, uh, or at least a a a a splitting of the factions here in the United States. He wanted to tear the United States apart uh, because of a variety of reasons. I don't think he particularly likes the United States, uh, but. Uh, his whole thing, his whole motivation is purity of race and culture. That's what this guy's motivation was about. And he viewed Muslims that had come into New Zealand as as uh, as basically parasites on his culture and society there. Ironically enough, this guy is not from New Zealand originally, the shooter. right? He's actually from, from, the, from Australia. But he actually more identifies with just Europeans in general. Because basically if you're of European descent, if you're basically white, that's basically what it comes down to, then, uh, you know, you're okay. But if you're not, then you should go back to your home country and you come here, you should die. That's basically his, his mindset. That's how screwed up that, that, that is screwed up. That is big time screwed up. 
Um, he doesn't like the idea of the melting pot of, of America. America's always been a melting pot. Always. Right? Uh, he doesn't like that idea. So, anyway, that, that was just basically his motivation. Uh, will that succeed? Uh, I, I definitely think that there are those here in the States that are looking at this recent shooting and going, yep, got to have more gun control. So uh, whether it'll succeed to the level that he wanted to or not is is beyond me. But I would say that I don't want to see this country get torn in half over an issue like the Second Amendment, uh, the way that he wants it to occur. Uh, obviously, you you folks know what side of, of the Second Amendment that I'm on. Uh, I'm a very literal believer and, and a subscriber to the uh, Second Amendment. But... Uh, I hope it doesn't come to a point where we have to duke it out, you know, uh, with our own people to to resolve this issue. I hope it can be resolved through the courts, through legislation, you know, through, you know, electing good leaders that stand by the Second Amendment. I also hope we can be good stewards and representatives ourselves of the Second Amendment and be be positive role models and examples to the general public because that's who we're trying to win minds over right now is is the general public the general populace of America you have people that are being swayed by false arguments from the other side and we have to we have to combat that you know in in a in a uh uh theoretical sense we have to combat that meaning that we've got to show what the Second Amendment's really, truly about, and what the people like us that are just normal, regular Joe people, like what we truly believe about the Second Amendment and how it can be something that's still protected and done so in a beautiful, positive way um, that it makes us stronger and better as a people and not, um, you know, evil. Because the other side would have you believe that that all of us gun owners, we're evil people mm-hmm. <clears throat> because we like yeah. guns. Yeah, and and to to expound on that a little bit, um, and without you know keeping everybody here for three more hours, um, but as you were talking about his his ideology and everything, um, he is an ethno nationalist. So basically, he wants an ethno state. He believes yeah. every country should be ethnically divided based yeah. on your ethnicity. Okay, and that's why he dis- despises the United States because we are not an ethnocentric country. Um, we, and so if you've listened in the media, they've said that he's a, he, he, they took out the ethno part and just said he's a white nationalist, which he is a white nationalist, but it's the same thing as if you were a, a Chinese nationalist or a black nationalist, it's, it's based on ethnicity. And so what they've done is they've conflated the idea of being a nationalist, being somebody who's proud of their country, like the United States, who are proud to be a, a, a country. I'm proud of the United States. I'm not proud. I'm not saying the United States should only be one race. I want the United States, like you said, as a melting pot. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud and I'm a nationalist in that way. But the media has conflated the two terms. And if you see in the news, and I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that you have to go read the manifesto or anything like that, but you will see selective quotes that were taken out of the the, the manifesto, this 87 or 70 some page manifesto um, explaining his ideology. And some of it is coherent. Some of it is just, is kind of whacked. Um, but, and I'm, when I say coherent, I'm not saying that 
you know, it, it, it's educational. I'm just saying it, you know, it, it's not rambling kind of like I am right now. But, um, but what I'm saying is that if you want to read the, 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 uh, manifesto, go ahead. But when you see these quotes and you see a lot of the mainstream media saying, don't read the manifesto, I saw like several, and I, and you may have seen them too, several, you know, mainstream media respected outlets saying, do not read the manifesto. We will basically saying, we will tell you all you need to know. And they twisted it and they, and so if you don't really understand what he's saying in, in one part, they, he says that, um, Donald Trump is, you know, um, he says he doesn't agree with Donald Trump at all on policy or as an, a leader, but he believes Donald Trump has taken kind of this, this role as a, um, a white nationalist, which has been, the mantle has been placed on Donald Trump's head, I believe, which it would have been placed on any Republican president's head. Personally, that's what I believe. Um, I don't believe Donald Trump's a white nationalist, but if you believe, if you read those little quotes that the mainstream media has put out there from, you would draw that conclusion. And that's the conclusion they want you to draw. Um, and so just understand that there's more going on to this, um, besides just a, you can't be proud of your country. You can't say that you believe, you know, your country should have, you know, controlled immigration and laws and things because that is bad. And that's what this guy is. And so they're going to start conflating that. And as a gun owner, you know how that works. You're conflated and you're compared to this, anybody who commits a crime. So now if you say I'm a nationalist, I believe the the United States is the greatest country in the world, then they're going to say, hold up. That's a little bit, that's a little bit scary because look at what this guy did. And so just understand kind of the difference. And that was my reason for reading it. Cause I really wanted to understand what, what, what they were trying to draw the conclusion, you know, the parallel to. Yeah. Hey, uh, <clears throat> we need to start wrapping it up here because of time, but um, I wanted to just highlight a couple uh, other things uh, from, from the actual timeline of the shooting that I think have some interesting lessons. 34 seconds into the shooting, he has his first reload. That reload takes him four seconds to achieve. That's, that's pretty, it's respectable on an AR. Um, can be done faster for sure, but that's, that's probably above average for most people. Um, his second reload occurs uh, at 50 seconds in, and uh, that one takes him eight seconds because he had to retrieve one of his magazines from the ground that had fallen out of his pocket. Uh, he then does a third reload about 20 seconds later, and during that reload, or or at least, actually, it's probably what Heath probably thought he had to do a reload, but it actually what it probably was was a, was a, was just a malfunction. He had a malfunction at that point. It appeared to be a double feed. It takes him about 15 seconds to clear. Now realize though, you might be hearing this and going, "Well, that's 15 seconds. That's a long time. Like I could probably, uh, I, I I could I could have gotten the jump on him at that point. That's 15 seconds where he didn't have his gun working. That is true. That's a lot of time uh, that you could probably do something there. But realize that by this point, the the damage has already been done. He's basically already shot everybody that's in this room. So there's nobody else around to be able to take advantage of that 15 seconds. His fourth reload occurs about uh, 24 seconds later. That one takes him three seconds. It was a coupled magazine, so it didn't take him very long at all to switch the magazine over. Uh, His fifth reload occurred uh, about another 20 seconds later, and then that one took him 11 seconds. Again, he he had to retrieve a magazine from the floor in the hallway. 
Uh, and then uh, he lead, he leaves the mosque. He he did some shooting outside, like I mentioned. He does a sixth re- reload where he, he drops his magazine, realizes he has no more magazines. That's when he goes back to the vehicle to retrieve his other rifle. All right. And then, uh, so I wanted to highlight some of those reloads and, and those reload times and, and kind of put it in perspective. Three or four seconds for a common, typical reload. Uh, whether that's handgun or AR or any kind of gun for that matter, is not a lot of time to do a lot. Uh, if you're watching this, you would see that it, it happens about that quick. By the time you've made the decision to jump up and try to get him, uh, he's already got the new magazine into the gun and it's ready to go. But a 15-second space for dealing with malfunction, which, by the way, many active shooter events have featured malfunctions, uh, that's a lot of time that we could do something with. So we need to try to recognize what the sounds of, of a malfunction, uh, you know, any sort of dead space in an event, if we can get an eye on him and see what he's doing and see why there's, why there's dead air time, you know, uh, all those things would be valuable to consider and, and be prepared to take action. Uh, grab a fire extinguisher, use it as a weapon if you're not able to carry a weapon yourself. Or maybe you are carrying a weapon because you're in a permissible environment, but you haven't been able to uh, get the drop on him. You haven't been able to access that weapon and, and be positioned in a place where you could actually take a good shot. Um, you know, Now he's dealing with a malfunction. You've got loads of time to maybe consider uh, taking him out at that point. Uh, but again, that's only true if you are in the area and you are physically capable of doing that, of doing something, right? Here's a couple other things to think about. He also went after people outside the church, outside the mosque. Uh, Even as he drove his car away, it appeared to me that it was almost like he saw other, I, I don't know whether he was seeing those that had escaped from that first mosque and he was, it almost was like he was chasing him down to it to an extent. Uh, but but what I would take from this is, just because you get away from the area doesn't mean you shouldn't be actively pursuing finding good cover or protection. Uh, that you know we can't assume that just because we got out of the initial area that 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 threat isn't going to now find us or that we're not going to encounter him later on. Um, so as, as I mentioned before, he ended up driving down the street a number, a pretty good distance and shooting some additional shots later on as well. So that, that threat was not just a threat in that mosque. It was a threat for quite a, a wide, uh, spread area. Uh, so I think those are all good things to consider that just cause we get outside of that building, that initial building or whatever, uh, doesn't mean that we're not, in danger anymore. Uh, when he, when the first time he walked out of the mosque, he actually aimed his gun at a couple of people that he could see in the parking lot. He, he, but he didn't take a shot because I think they managed to just move just enough behind other objects that he, he couldn't get that shot off in time, but I think he wanted to. So, you know, these people got out into the parking lot. They were pretty exposed initially. I, I think if, uh, they were they were lucky that they may I don't know for sure those people actually got away to be honest because he then went out to the sidewalk and then continued to shoot and it may have been those same people I don't know. Um, so just some other food for thought that uh, uh, we, <laughs> there's there's a lot there's a lot there the the time frame in in the reloads or the time frame in the malfunction clearing the time frame in, or or at least getting ourselves out of that situation and, and really getting ourselves out of the situation away from there. And also, again, once we're out of the initial threat area, 
you 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 still want to be putting distance between you and where the threat was. You want to be as much as possible using cover. All right, vehicles, walls, trees, whatever it is, you want as much as possible as you are making your escape. Use cover while you're doing that, and not just feel like as soon as you get out of that initial danger area to that you're okay and you can just kind of you know walk or run upright you know out in the open like you want to you want to be hustling your way to places of cover and taking uh cover uh because you don't know when that that threat is going to maybe pop out in a different place uh some, maybe some places where you don't, don't even expect so uh i just wanted to get that out as well uh anything else matthew no, no. I, I mean, I, I think we covered, I, I, you know, we covered the tactical stuff, so what we could learn a little bit about the gun laws there and some ideology and, and how it can kind of shape our policies here and what we need to be cautious about and, and things. And obviously, you know, um, pray for, pray for, uh, those families and, and, uh, hope that we can, we can, uh, change those courses over here a little bit. Um, and, and, and by doing smart things, by creating, church security teams and things, uh, school security teams. Cause yeah. it, it is, it's terrible. It's a, it, it, to watch the video is terrible. Um, it really is. So, yeah. Uh, it, it's eye opening because again, it, it, it begs the question, how prepared are you really? How prepared is your school really? And how prepared is your church really? How prepared are you at home really? You know, like this stuff, when it happens, it happens so fast. We need to be also prepared to act quickly and decisively where we can. Uh, We may not always have the chance to. We have to recognize that. But if we do, and I hope we do, we have to be prepared and we need to do so quickly and decisively. So how prepared are we really? Uh, I'm motivated to go and practice more, Matthew, like work more on all my various skill sets. Uh, I feel like I, I mean, I always feel this way. I always feel like I have much improvement to make. And I, and this, you know, something like this happens and, and you just go, yeah, I have even way more uh, work to do than I, than I thought. Uh, but realize even when, even the best in the world, talking about say like Navy SEALs, uh, Delta guys, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the best in the world sometimes lose the battle. Mm-hmm. because it just isn't your day. And like you can't prepare for every possible angle and every possible scenario. But it's still motivating enough, I think, to try to be the very best that we can be. And so, uh, yeah. Uh, actually, there was a comment from somebody here that said, you never know when there, you know, there might be another shooter somewhere. That's going back to my comments about making sure you really get yourself out of the area and away from that threat. Uh, we, again, need to be using cover and things because there may be a, a, another shooter. That is definitely a possibility. Um, Ken said, I was astounded when they started making backpacks with armor plates. Uh, like for kids, I haven't seen any armor plates in backpacks for kids, uh, but there's definitely bullet 
you know, b- bullet resistant, uh, you know, ballistic panels that you can put in backpacks, which is going to pr- protect against uh, handgun rounds uh, in particular. Uh, carrying an armor plate around is uh, not fun. Uh, they're generally heavy, unless you go with the really expensive ones, <laughs> uh, various ceramic uh, and other hybrid uh, armor plates that are out there that are uh, a lot lighter weight than the steel armor plating, but very expensive as well. But anyway, uh, let's see here. I think we'll be changing some of our security protocols in my church now. Absolutely. You know, one thing it looked to me is that these people had a diff- had a lot of difficulty getting out of that big room. Like there was, I think, you know, uh, Matthew, when you, when, you know, if you envision walking down the hallway and to the left where the mm-hmm. one group of people was, I think that was a door. Yeah, I, I think it and might have led somehow back. Somehow they didn't get out. You know, some of those people didn't get out the door, mm-hmm. um, and I really wondered about that. But there's yes, so many security protocols, uh, exit points. Uh, you know, all kinds of things that we need to be looking at and considering in these public environments. Uh, how we can be a little bit more able to uh, defend and escape uh, from. A similar, hopefully, this sort of thing never happens to any of you guys out there viewing or watching this today or listening to this today. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen for any any one of us, but uh, we do we do need to be prepared as best as we can for the event that it does occur. And also, let's not forget about the medical aspect. You know, we can also get training and spend time practicing uh, our medical skills and how we you know applying tourniquets. Uh, you know, dealing with the, with that kind of thing, the aftermath. It's another thing to consider. Anyway. Well, folks, um, it is time to wrap this up. Uh, we're past an hour, but uh, uh, hopefully this is helpful for you. I, I think f- for me, again, I, I kind of ex- expressed how I'm motivated. Uh, I, I even want to make sure that my mindset is is better and stronger than ever. Uh, Matthew, any last-minute uh, comments here? No. I mean, uh, God bless everybody. Just keep uh, keep your mind to your, you know uh, fresh and sharp and... Um, protect it, protect your family and those who you love. You know? Yep. Yep. Good, good stuff, man. I forgot to mention at the beginning of the episode, geez, it's Tuesday. Uh, we got to give away a TACWARE TW350 flashlight. So, uh, folks, you've been hanging around till the end of the episode and it is time to announce the winner of this week's weekly podcast giveaway. And that is for the TW350 TACWARE tactical flashlight. Great little flashlight. And I'm going to move right along fairly quickly here, okay? So I have picked a random winner here from 267 entries. That's awesome, guys. Some of you did really well, again, uh, spreading the word and getting multiple entries for sharing uh, the podcast uh, giveaway. By the way, if you would like to make sure you're signed up for our weekly giveaway, go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. All right, concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Make sure you're signed up each week. It's a it's a new thing every week uh, for a new new prize on the podcast. All right, so this week's winner of the Tactical Flashlight is Alan L. And he has a Gmail address. Uh, Alan L., congrats. You are the winner of the TW350 Tactical Flashlight. Uh, we'll be emailing you, contacting you, letting you know you're the winner, and uh, you have the, the opportunity to claim that prize at that time. So congrats to Alan, and congrats to all of you for being willing to... Uh, trust us and support us in everything we do and sign up for our giveaways, uh, buy the products that we recommend, support us through our website. 
thank you very much. And a reminder to go out and train and practice and take take a class from somebody, okay? Preferably a reputable instructor. Um, I am going to be taking a class from Dave Spaulding here in a month and a half, and I'm pretty pretty excited about that. It's going to be, oh wait, two and a half months. That'll be a good class. Uh, So I'm doing something to make sure that I'm keeping my skills sharp. What are you doing to keep your skills sharp? Well, you listen to the podcast, so that, that helps, right? But Anyway, <laughs> come see some of the, the training we have to offer. Uh, we'll be uh, listing, actually, I think we've posted some of our classes already uh, for Colorado here. We've got a number of our live fire uh, courses, um, our kind of beginner, intermediate, and advanced uh, handgun courses. Those are coming up here throughout the, over the course of the summer. It'll be a good time. Matthew, I think, is going to be teaching some out in the Ohio area, Indiana area, somewhere out that way. Yeah. So that'll be good. Well, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.